Welcome to the Becoming Witchy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly of Bramble and Brimstone. Join me as we discuss practical witchcraft, share witchy tips, aha moments, tools, and resources that have helped us on our way, and as we discuss how magic shows up in our everyday. This podcast is here to encourage and support you on your own witchy way. Welcome to episode 25 of the Becoming Witchy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Happy October and season of the witch to you all. Today we are back with an episode about the pagan wheel of the year holiday of Samhain, celebrated from October 31st through November 1st or 2nd. It coincides with Halloween, Dia de Muertos, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, many, many holidays that all celebrate and honor the dead and death around this time, and that also recognize this time of year as part of a natural cycle, honoring the shadow of life as part of it and as part of us. Before we get into it all, though, I want to say that I love this time of year. I love the smell of decaying leaves, of bundling up. I love everyone seeming to embrace the weird and witchiness at Halloween. I love the cool weather and just about everything about autumn. But I'm also someone who suffers from a lack of sunlight. The amount of daylight has a huge effect on my motivation and my mood. And I can already feel the effect of the shorter days creeping in on me. It always feels so contradictory to me to feel depleted by the lack of daylight because I love the dark half of the year so much. So I don't know. I just wanted to call it out, to name it, normalize it. And if this resonates with you, I see you and it's okay. We can love the darkness and the witchy time of the year and still also need the sun. So this is my reminder to myself, and it can be a reminder to you too, to take your vitamin D, talk to your doctor, get a daylight lamp, make some lemon balm tea or a tincture, and just do whatever you need to do to charge up your own battery for the dark half of the year. Welcome to the seasonal section. We are nearing the end of October. It's getting cold. At night, we're into the low 30s here now. This weekend, we decided it was time to harvest everything we could because Samhain is coming up. It's this weekend. It's the last harvest festival, and it truly is getting too cold out for a lot of our plants now. So we picked a ton of tomatoes and peppers and butternut squash and I'll say these are all volunteer plants that grew in our beds from our compost that we spread. If anyone's been listening to the podcast, you know that I've been upset about the garden this summer. None of the plants that we planted from seed that we deliberately planted actually grew very well, but we got a really good haul this October and September. I was so sad during the summer when we had nothing to show for our garden, but Everything seemed to recover really well and just ended up producing really late this year. So I'm incredibly grateful and thankful for that garden magic. Maybe nature is giving me a message to just stop trying so hard. Stop being such a Virgo and trying to control it. Just let it happen. <laughs> we also harvested a ton of lemon balm and clary sage. My coven is going to be making tinctures this week. And lemon balm is supposed to be really good for mood boosting and happiness. So definitely need that in this dark half of the year. The leaves are really starting to change now on the trees. It got off to a really slow start, but we're definitely getting some good color now. 
uh, what else? Um, the air has a real chill in it now. You can feel it. You can smell it. It smells like winter is coming. Do you know what I mean? It smells more frozen. Has that like wet, cold, petrichor, rocky smell. And I love it. <laughs> it's the smell of this time. Of a threshold. Slowly the wheel of the year is making another turn closer towards winter. Alright, main topic time. It's almost Samhain. This is a pagan wheel of the year holiday celebrated in the Northern Hemisphere on October 31st to about November 1st. And this is based on an ancient Celtic fire festival celebrated in Ireland and Scotland. Though there are other cultures that have celebrations at this time. Like I mentioned before, Dia de Muertos, or Day of the Dead, celebrated in Mexico and rooted in Aztec traditions. There are also the Catholic holidays, which are often based on festivals of the people that they conquered. All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, All Souls' Day... There is also, of course, the modern non-secular holiday of Halloween. Samhain marks the halfway point between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, which is bonkers to me because the autumn equinox feels like yesterday. But anyways, on the opposite side of the wheel of the year sits Beltane, which is what the southern hemisphere will be celebrating at this time. It signals the shift to spring and to summer. Spring and autumn, Beltane and Samhain, are both said to be a time when the veil between worlds thins. They are in-between times, important seasonal thresholds, crossroads, liminal times. They remind us of the cycle of life and death. At Samhain, we really see in nature this end of the growing season, right? Plants are dying, trees are losing their leaves, there is less light, it's colder, the earth really seems to be going dormant. It's a very tangible relationship to death at this time. And if you try to imagine in ancient times how terrifying this time would have been, you're having less light, they don't have electricity, your livelihood would depend on the spring returning, on how fruitful your summer harvest was. It just makes sense that superstitions would have run wild. And we see a lot of the themes of this time for protection, and leaving offerings for the spirits to appease them so that they don't mess with you. In Ireland, fairies and spirits and ghosts at this time are seen as really mischievous and even dangerous. And a lot of the Halloween decorations are based on superstitions around this time of needing to scare away any malevolent spirits or beings. This is where carved pumpkins, or traditionally turnips, come from. If you want a good scare, Google carved turnips. They are truly unsettling. But a scary face carved into a turnip or a pumpkin would deter any spirits that might be lurking about. Dressing up at this time of year would also confuse spirits and prevent them from noticing you. If you dressed scary, they might think you were just one of them and leave you alone. One of the fairies of this time of year from Ireland and Scotland is called the Puka which was a type of shape-shifting fairy that would wander the fields and take anything that hadn't been harvested. So before this night, at the final harvest, you'd harvest all of the crops that you had so that they wouldn't be spoiled by the puka. 
but it was custom to leave a few things on the field as an offering to gain their favor. Puka and all fairies really were known to be mischievous. They might kidnap you, especially children, usually by offering you a drink or a ride to lure you in. So avoiding them and leaving offerings to appease them was always a really good idea. There are many myths from this time that personify this cycle, usually with a descent to the underworld to represent the cyclical nature of life, death, and rebirth. We talked in the Autumn Equinox episode about the Greek goddess Persephone and about the Mesopotamian goddess Inanna. In wealth mythology, there is Caridwin, who is usually associated more with spring, but of course spring and autumn are related. She is a witch and goddess of transformation and rebirth, as well as inspiration. She is the keeper of the cauldron of wisdom and inspiration, often referred to as the Awen. I think it's also important to mention her in this season because this Awen, this inspiration, source of inspiration and creativity and wisdom, this can be found and accessed in this darker season as well. I've mentioned before how the autumn months and the dark half of the year They're associated with crafting and making, transforming one thing into another. Most people know or have heard of Dia de Muertos, and you're probably familiar with the very popular skeletal faces that are used to decorate at this time. There's a female skeletal figure that has roots in the Aztec goddess of death, Mixtecasahuatl, which I may not be saying that exactly right, but she is usually represented with flayed skin and a gaping skeletal jaw that would collect and swallow the stars before sunrise. And her role was to lead souls to the afterlife and to protect and watch over the bones of the dead so they could be used to create new life. And in this way, she represents the rebirth and cycle of life and death that is just so prevalent at this time. So while we're surrounded by this cycle of death in nature, we feel this thinness, this connection to other worlds and realms. And it's a time when we often start to think of our loved ones that have passed. And you see this in a lot of the traditions and themes of this time. Remembrance is a big theme, especially remembrance for the dead. I will say that a great movie to watch at this time of year to really embrace this theme of ancestor veneration and remembrance is Coco which is a Pixar animated movie about a boy and his family during the Day of the Dead celebrations. It's a great movie and will give you all the feels. There's also, and I've mentioned it before, but Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a stop-motion film about a young boy and his very complicated and tragic family story, but it all culminates in what's called the Bon Festival, which is a Japanese festival usually celebrated in August, Its specific date is based on the lunar calendar, but it's a time when you can connect and speak with your ancestors or loved ones who have died. And it's just a great story that brings these rather complicated themes of loss and death and life and remembrance and memory all together. I think in Western culture and especially Christian cultures, we aren't really taught to have a healthy relationship with death, but Samhain is a time for us to repair that and face it, acknowledge it, and process it in a healthier way. And I want to be clear that both of these movies share stories of how different cultures deal with death and remembrance, and I'm not part of either of those cultures. So I'm not encouraging cultural appropriation here, 
but I am encouraging learning from them. I think that these two movies are really great for this time of year and can act as a lesson to remind us of the importance of remembrance and memory and of living with death as part of our lives rather than ignoring it. Other ways to celebrate today, there is the tradition of the Dumb Supper, which is a meal where an ancestor is invited, a place will be laid out for them, and they'll be served food. You might include their favorite foods and beverages, and traditionally this was held in complete silence. But I feel like if I was a ghost and traveled all the way back to the land of the living to eat supper with my living relatives, who I might not even know, like, you better at least talk to me, right? Tell me who you are. <laughs> and you could have this meal with friends and ask each friend to invite an ancestor. And you could share stories about them with each other. It doesn't have to be silent, I don't think. And I'm using the term ancestor very loosely here. Ancestor can be someone who is related to you in your family tree by blood. But I believe you can choose your family. And I believe you can choose your ancestors. Maybe your related ancestors are terrible people and you don't want to talk to them or have a relationship with them in real life or in the afterlife. And that's fine. I feel like an ancestor can be someone you feel connected to. Any loved one or friend who has passed. You could also do some research, search your ancestors. Maybe ones that you've never known or never knew, but who you might have something in common with. My mom has done ancestry.com and has found relatives that were literally officially labeled spinsters and childless and I feel like and they were like 24 or something and I feel like those are definitely ancestors that I could try to reach out to and let them know that their identity is valid and me too and tell them about my childless life and I feel like we'd be fast friends but you can always look in your family history or your chosen family history to find someone you might want to connect with and invite them in and have a dumb supper with them or just have a con try to have a conversation with them. And you can start by just telling them what's going on in your life, letting them know how you're doing, maybe let them know how much you miss them if you knew them, tell stories from when they were living if you knew them or jokes they might have liked. You could recite a favorite memory with them or a story you've heard about them. If this is your first time doing any type of ancestor work, think of it as relationship building. Don't expect anything from them the first time you try to contact them or even the second or third time. You can build an altar to your ancestors, leave them offerings. You can create ancestor bottles, which we'll talk about in the rituals that work segment. And you can then start asking them for advice or guidance. One of the simple things I do to connect to ancestors is I have jewelry that belonged to my grandmother, and I have jewelry that belonged to my husband's grandmother's as well. And I wear rings of theirs almost every day, and I'm always sort of reminded of their presence through that. So that's something simple you can do if you have any trinkets or things like that. I also have on my bookshelf, I have photos of all of my grandparents, and my husband has a little memento of his uncle, and it's sort of a little mini ancestor altars. I have a little ancestor bottle that I've made for my grandmother, and I plan to make more for my other uh, grandparents as well. 
that's something simple that you can do at this time of year. And we leave our ours up all the time, but you can build yours at this time of year because the veil is thin, it's easier to connect. Definitely something that's great for this time of year. Since this is a time of thresholds and crossroads, you can ask your ancestors and spirits or, or fairies or any creatures that dwell between worlds for advice or guidance on decisions you might need to make. And you can use tarot or other forms of divination like caromancy, which is pouring candle wax into water and reading the shapes, or tassomancy, which is reading tea leaves. You can use runes, you can try scrying, all forms of divination to help you answer any questions you have at this time or anything that you're struggling with or needing to gain insight or wisdom about. This is definitely a time to look beyond for guidance for whatever you're looking for help with. And I mentioned earlier, I'll be making tinctures around this time, using up all of the herbs that we've harvested. And that's a great thing to do this time of year, because then you can use those tinctures throughout the dark half of the year, and they'll be reminiscent of the summer, which I think a lot of people need at this time of year. I definitely do. So if you don't grow herbs, you can of course buy them from the store. To make a tincture, it depends whether I'm using dried or fresh herbs. Dried herbs are stronger and more potent than fresh herbs, so you need less dried herbs when you're working with them than fresh herbs. But I usually do a small mason jar with herbs. If dried, a third or a half full. And if fresh, I'll fill the jar completely full of herbs, and then I'll pour a high-proof grain alcohol like Everclear which is essential for preservation if you're using fresh herbs because the water in the herbs will dilute the alcohol. So you want to use a really high-proof alcohol. But you pour it over the herbs until your jar is full and fully covers the herbs. Store it for two to four weeks, shaking every day or so. And then you'll strain it through a cheesecloth and put it into a little dropper bottle. And you can make very potent plant tinctures like this. And you'll just need a drop or two in a glass of water or tea, however you want to use it. You can look up recipes for different herbal tinctures online, or I have a really great book. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes and link it for you. And that's great. It has recipes for all sorts of things and for adding honey to sweeten it up and make it taste a little bit better because sometimes they are very strong. Also, as one of the main fire festivals, this is a great time to have a bonfire with your friends. As a bonfire ritual, you can write down things you would like to transform in your life or write down habits or things you would like to release and see die and cast them into the fire to transform or release them from you. Remember that this is a transitional and magical time and we also have a full moon right around Samhain this year. The space between us is lessened, our collective consciousness is closer, you may feel overwhelmed by emotions and much more sensitive overall. Just remember to be gentle and kind with yourself and others. Reflect, look within, ask your ancestors for guidance, ask the spirits for wisdom, ask the moon for help, but never trust a mysterious figure who offers you a ride or a drink because they might be a fairy or ghost luring you to the underworld. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the Rituals That Work segment. So for this segment, I'm actually going to read an excerpt from my October newsletter for making ancestor bottles. 
which is a physical, tangible tie to whatever person you're making it for, as well as a ritual for remembrance. And as part of the ritual, I would encourage you to make yourself some rosemary tea or burn a rosemary-scented thing because rosemary is very much an herb of remembrance and magic. For me, rosemary is so powerful in triggering memories, so I really encourage you to try it out. And you can buy rosemary dried or as a fresh herb from the grocery store, but I really encourage you to have this herb around and experience it in some way for this ritual making of the ancestor bottle. For your ingredients, you'll need a small glass jar with a lid, sea salt or dirt, a memento, photo, or talisman of remembrance for the ancestor you're making the bottle for. If you don't know your ancestor, that's fine, you can skip that part. You'll also want dried plants for remembrance and connection between worlds. These can be juniper, rosemary, mugwort, clove, yarrow, or anything that you feel is relevant. An ancestor bottle is a spell of remembrance, a physical reminder to honor someone's memory and connect you to them. You can make a bottle for any relative, friend, pet, or loved one who has passed. It can be for someone you are very close to or someone you were never able to meet. Start by adding a little dirt or salt to your bottle. This represents the physical world to provide your ancestor with a connection to you. Next, add any herbs like rosemary, for remembrance and a connection. Next, add any memento or talisman to represent your ancestor and a bit of any other ingredient that reminds you of them. Seal your bottle with a lid or cork. Set your bottle out with a candle and an offering bowl to create an altar where you can communicate with your ancestor. If you have a photo of them, you can place it on the ancestor altar with your bottle to strengthen the connection. And while you're making your bottle, Think about your ancestor. Try talking to them. In the same way that you might do at the Dumb Supper that we talked about, tell them about yourself, share a memory or story. Just let them know that you're thinking of them while you're making this bottle. And try to create that connection while you're creating it. I recently made one for my grandmother. I'm looking at it right now. It's by an old photo of her. Um, I'm actually... I'm going to go grab it so that I can see what I put in it. Okay, so it's a small glass vial with a cork. And you can seal your bottle with wax if you want. I didn't seal mine because I thought I might want to add things to it. Um, so in the bottle, I started with sand from uh, where my parents live in northern Michigan, which is a place where she also went a lot. Um, so I know she's been there and she lived in Michigan. So that's a sort of tangible connection point for her. And I also have rosemary in there. Um, I have some pine in there. I have a uh, lily of the valley flower, which lily of the valley is a return to happiness. And I have one single earring of hers. I don't know what happened to the other one, but it's a beautiful little inlay earring with a lily of the valley flower. So I put that in there for her. It's a dried flower just from my garden. And I've also put in um, a little costume jewelry earring that I don't have the other part to. It's a little fake plastic pearl. 
uh, but it was hers. It belonged to her. And she was always wearing these crazy, really fancy costume jewelry earrings. So that's in there for her. And that's all I have in there right now. I might put more in at some other point, but that's an example of a simple ancestor bottle you can make. And you can think of your ancestor. Obviously, while I was talking about it, I couldn't, <laughs> I was thinking of my grandma wearing her costume jewelry earrings and how glamorous I always thought that was. Um, but that's the point of the bottle to give you a connection to them, to help you remember them. And it's a great thing to do at this time of year. Fully encourage you to do it and to have fun with this ritual and with whatever ancestor you choose to make the bottle for. Welcome to the episode draw segment. We are drawing from the Nightmare Before Christmas deck this time. And it's a little bit different than a normal tarot deck. It has different suits, so I'm going to be reading from the guidebook for whatever card that we get. But I'm going to shuffle and draw a card. Well, we got the Fool. We got a major Arcana card. So that's obviously the same as a regular deck, but I'm going to read what the book has because it's fun. The book is fun. The Fool represents someone who's starting an exciting adventure. Jack Skellington, pictured in this Fool card, is enthusiastic and determined as he sets out on his ill-advised journey to take over Christmas. Channel Jack Skellington's childlike enthusiasm as you take your first brave steps towards something new. With limitless potential, there's no telling how far you'll go. Ah, uh, I love I love these type of tarot decks that use an iconic or favorite movie to bring something new to the to the card, to the interpretation. So I love Jack Skellington at the beginning of The Nightmare Before Christmas. He is so excited to be doing Christmas. Obviously, messes it up a little bit, but that is the fool, right? It is that just going for it, no matter what, going, walking towards the edge of that cliff without really thinking about where you're going. And sometimes that, sometimes that's really great when you need to get started, when you're full of that energy to get going, and. I always take the fool also as a reminder to, you know, take those first few steps really powerfully and excitedly, but after the fourth or fifth one, look ahead and see what's coming. So in this card, Jack Skellington also has zero with him to light his way, which I really like. Um, yeah, so go forward with your Halloween and Samhain plans. I hope you have a great adventurous time and I will see you next time on the Becoming Witchy podcast. Thank you so much for listening and happy spooky season. Do you have questions on your Becoming Witchy journey or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast? Send us an email at podcast at bramblebrimstone.com. If you're interested in our newsletter, head over to our show notes where you can find the Bramble and Rimstone Instagram where you can sign up. 
we would love for you to join our coven community. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please rate and review us. It helps others find the podcast, and we so appreciate your support. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant as a substitute for medical advice.